I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. This guy is sick of talking to me. He has to chat with me all the time. But Dang, you know what? What a dog. He doesn't get a chance to chat with Hans Olsen very often. Joining us now, Stephen Ashworth from the Utah State men's basketball team. Kind enough to join us. Huge game coming up tomorrow. Utah State, Boise State. Stephen, how are you? What's up, Stephen? What's up, man? Scotty, how you guys doing? Man, it's good to hear from you. Oh, we're doing great, but you're doing better, brother. What a season you've had. This has got to be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a super fun year. Uh have a lot of positive uh, moments and experiences. And, you know, playing with the team that we've got, it's just something that I enjoy going into practice, enjoy going into workouts every single day, and then obviously performing at a high level and playing in front of the best fans in the country is, is just you know, the cherry on top. So it's been it's been a super fun year. It's been a minute since you played Boise. Uh, I don't want to say you've had that game circled, but I know that you've been, uh, you and the rest of that team have been dying for another crack at those guys. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're a, a really well-coached and, uh, you know, well-performing team in the conference. And, you know, they're the previous champs of last season. And so it's definitely an opportunity that I think we are really excited for. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun in the spectrum. Having the fans sell out the the place is going to be huge, and so, like you mentioned, it's I don't know if it's as much about circling it as you know it's you know one of the next games and our last game before the conference tournament, and so it's definitely something that we've been looking forward to. So, Stephen, I I know there's a couple of different areas that try to claim you. Highland tries to claim you. Uh, I know Alpine people try to claim you. Uh, I know that you spent some time up in my uncle's neck of the woods, but I'm curious what. what what was it like growing up, essentially in Alpine, right? What was it like growing up in Alpine? And and at what point did you start to figure this is my direction in life? Yeah, so I um, I grew up, actually, my older brother was about to go to Tempe, and then we moved up to, so I, I live in Highland. Um, most of the time I tell people I'm from Alpine because every time I told somebody I'm from Highland, 
they asked me about rugby and <laughs> I was a basketball guy and I'm you know, I was like, No, different Highland, not Salt Lake City. So it just became a longer intro to the conversation we were gonna have. So when I said Alpine um, and Lone Peak, they instantly kinda knew the geographical area where I was and so the house that I grew up in, um, from basically the age I was five was right on the Highland Alpine border. Um and so it's really close, to, you know, tight knit community down there. And I, um, growing up, I loved basketball and I knew that basketball was going to be something that I wanted to pursue. I think towards the, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade kind of really came the decision for me. Um, a lot of my coaches felt like I could be a really good wide receiver in football. And, um, I had, you know, the speed and athleticism to, to run routes well. And so that was super fun for me, but at the end of the day, I was tired of getting hit and I was tired of blocking. And so I felt like basketball was going to be my best bet. Um, and so I really, right after probably my eighth grade year, I quit football and focused fully on basketball um, all year round. And um, was really when I kind of started making the strides that that I wanted to become a, a Division One college basketball player. And I'd had those dreams for a long time, but I think that that time was when I was really able to put the time in that allowed me to get to where I am today. So you and I have talked a little bit about this before, but, uh, you know, and I told you the story about Tarvish Felton, uh, who's now at uh, New Mexico, uh, watching you warm up, and he and I were talking. He's like, tell you what, you look over there, Ashworth, you take the kid out of Lone Peak. You can't take Lone Peak out of the kid. Like, that kid plays a lot of swagger. And you play at Lone – when you do play at Lone Peak, especially during that era, you know, coming off the big three and then the success that you and Frank Jackson and other guys had there, like, there was there was a level where you took everybody's best shot, and I think you carried that same kind of attitude and swagger. And I don't mean those in derogatory terms at all, but you take that kind of confidence with you to the next level. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, I think that's what makes me who I am. Um, and you know, coach Crawford is, um, you know, somebody who really I've spent a lot of time with in the off season and, you know, just chatting. Um, and he always has some good basketball advice and life advice. And one of the things he tells me often is just be yourself. You don't have to be anybody else. You are exactly what the team needs to be in order to accomplish all of your personal and team goals. And so I think but by just hearing those types of things and then also the environment in which I grew up, I've become very confident with that swagger and with that confidence and being able to know that um, if a shot needs to be hit, I have the confidence to take it uh, and live with the result. And obviously, you know, you have to spend the time in order to have that confidence and uh, put in the work and able to do it. And so um, I think that Lone Peak – Basketball was definitely a huge catalyst for me in all of those um, aspects of basketball. All right, Stephen, I need you to unlock the mystery of something for me. How, I'd love to. Oh, please! If if you've got the if you've got the answers to this, it's going to help so many people out there. Okay. How, how is how can you be six one but play like you're six six? Because there's 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 something unique to a guy that's built like you, but on a court with a bunch of giants, but just plays like a giant. What's the secret to playing like you're six six when you're six one? That's a good question. I I, I hear that. I think um, every now and again about how I play much bigger than my size, and I think that part of it is that you can't think about it. Um, 
You know, people will tell me all the time how I'm undersized or maybe I don't fit the eye test or things like that. But to me, like, I've always felt like I was the right size and that I fit the eye test. Like, I didn't feel like I needed to be anything else. And so I've always had that confidence that whatever I want to go accomplish on the court, I can. And so I think that if there's a loose ball and I got to jump up and get a rebound, I can go and, and try to grab it or you know, if it's six, seven guys trying to post me up, I feel like I'm, I'm big enough in order to guard them. And sometimes, you know, you watch the film back and you see like, all right, Steven, yeah, you kind of just got bullied there. But <laughs> it doesn't happen often, and I think it's because of that confidence and also just maybe the, you know, unawareness of myself and what I really might look like to others. And so um, I think but as, you know, kids from from Utah – uh, especially, you know, six foot, six one, five eleven, whatever they want to call me out there. Um, you're going to have to prove some people wrong and you can do it in a lot of different ways. You can do it by spending a lot of time in the gym or just playing harder than anybody else. And, you know, when, when I'm out there on the court, I try to give it my all and coach Odom has a lot of trust in his players. And he tells us all the time, like, Hey, if you need a blow, let me know and I'll get you right back out there. And so that's what I try to you know, live by out there on the quarters, making sure that every single play, I'm giving it that maximum effort. Stephen Ashworth uh, joining us, Utah State. Absolutely huge game coming up tomorrow against uh, Boise State. And I was talking to Coach Odom in our, our pregame conversation a couple uh, games ago, and I asked him, do you talk about the bubble stuff and Lenardi and all that other nonsense out there? Do you try to insulate your team from it? And he's like, look, there's no way in this day and age you can insulate your players from it. So, yeah, we talk about it. We acknowledge it, and we understand that we have goals out there. But how do you handle all of the talk about, oh, they've got to get this win or they have to do this? If they're going to be – do you try to avoid it or do you, do, you, do you consume it? What's that like for you as a player? Yeah, I think it's definitely, as Coach Odom said, you can't really protect us from it. I mean, we all have digital devices, and it's everywhere you look. And I think Coach Odom and, and the whole staff has done a great job this year of just being honest and open about it. And giving us a little advice here and there of, you know, if you really look at the the demographics of the bracketology and the bubble and all those things, it's just like any other media. Um, you're wanting to get views, you're wanting to get clicks, and so you know, I think when you look at it from the perspective of, hey, is this like actually what it is or is this more so every single day changing up what it's looking like so that more people will talk about it, more people will question why they were a four seed one night and a six seed the next night. Um, and studying marketing myself, I totally understand that. And it makes a lot of sense to me before Selection Sunday why there would be a lot of buzz and hype around the bubble and different things because it is the greatest event in sports with March Madness. And so you want to create buzz about it. And so personally, you know, I'm really confident with the resume that we've built. I think that the metrics are in our favor. And I also think just the, the raw talent and uh, performances that we've had are in our favor as well, as well as the fact that the mountain West is one of the top five leagues in the uh, country. I think it goes to show with how well we've done this year. And then we have opportunities still left at hand. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot and have confidence in is that no matter what anybody else says, we control the last three games of our season. And, you know, we can make it so that nobody else can decide whether or not we end. And so, you know, that's one of our goals. It's been one of our goals throughout the whole year is to win a Mountain West championship. And unfortunately, we're in a spot um, right now where we can't win the regular season title, but 
Um, we're still competing for uh, a high seed for that conference tournament and then still have that goal to go to go win it down in Vegas. And so from that perspective, I think w- the team has really done a great job of just focusing on improving ourselves and worrying about what we can control and then let the, uh, you know, I guess since we're in Vegas, we'll say let the cards fall where they may. <laughs> So, Stephen, I got married in between my junior and senior year at BYU playing football down there. Uh-huh. And I know that you got married, I believe it was after your freshman season, right? It was. Okay. Yep, it was. So how does college sports change for an athlete after marriage? Is it easier, more difficult? How much did it change for you throwing marriage into the mix while being a college athlete. And be careful, she might be listening too. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. (laughs) Yeah, um, I mean... In some ways, it's been a lot easier. Um, and I know she actually isn't listening right now because she's the breadwinner of the family. <laughs> yes. Uh, so was my wife, so, too. She yeah, was. Exactly, she had to make right? the money. So yeah. We married up, Hans. We yeah. definitely did. Absolutely. So, um, in, that, in that regard, just from a financial standpoint, as an athlete, obviously, you know, name, image, and likeness has, has helped out quite a bit. Um, but I remember my freshman year of, really figuring out finances and having to pay rent and, you know, buy groceries for myself and things like that. And then I got married and I had a whole nother second hand helping with rent and groceries and everything. And so that relieved some stress and allowed me to kind of just focus on basketball and school. And another thing is that coming home from, you know, games, whether it's win or losses, it's just so much more enjoyable having somebody that, you know, is really, in it with me and I feel like we um, share our goals really well and we're on the same page when it comes to um, all of those types of things and she pushes me a lot Um, you know maybe when I'm talking down on myself but at home she reminds me of some of the things that I've accomplished and some of the things that I've said I want to go do and she reminds me that in those moments if I'm saying stuff like that that that's not going to get me where I want to go and so she'll get me out of those ruts and then She'll actually uh, kind of take me to the gym and rebound for me, and those which has been a, a huge blessing to have, you know, somebody like Peyton who just supports me in what I want to accomplish, and um, you know, in a lot of ways, my goals has become her goals, and her goals has become my goals, and so being married, I think it simplified my life in a lot of ways, and has allowed me to excel not only in um, in basketball, but kind of in life in general as well. Mm. 
I think that's very well said. So uh, very, I, very well said. I, I have heard about a very uh, competitive, aggressive uh, board game that's played at Spencer Nelson's house. Is she just as competitive as you are uh, when it comes to all different aspects? She is. She has a competitive spirit for sure. She's also a really, um, you know, she's a sweetheart. She has a lot of tenderness to her. And so she doesn't want to hurt feelings as opposed to where if I'm playing a game, I don't care (laughs) if we're family and your feelings get hurt. Like I'll say sorry after, but in the moment, and she's much more aware, which I think has been good for me as well. But she's definitely competitive in the board games or she's a great pickleball player. She grew up learning tennis. Um, and she did cheer as well. And so she's an athlete and she's picked up pickleball really well. And, and she'll beat me and humble me in that every now and again. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Steven, how hard was it to put off your college dreams and aspirations for two years to go serve a mission for the church of Jesus Christ or Latter-day Saints? I, how, what goes into a decision when you're a high level athlete like that and your body is high functioning and in your mind, you're thinking, all right, I'm going to go serve God for two years. How hard was that decision, and how much did it affect you, taking two years off to serve for the church other than rather than playing college basketball at the time? Yeah, um, it was definitely uh, a tough decision. I think it got tougher as it got closer um, with just the different things surrounding my future at Utah State with coaching changes and different things. Um, and it came down to a lot of prayer and a lot of, you know, communication with my family and, uh, really deciding on what is going to be best, not only for my, uh, basketball career, but for my future and what things can the mission offer me that I wouldn't be able to ever experience again. And so it was difficult thinking about the, the realm that I don't know how often I'm going to be able to work out, how many shots I'm going to be able to get up. Uh, fortunately enough for me, I did go to Indiana and so people there love basketball and I was able to really connect myself well with a lot of the people we were teaching or members and create lasting relationships through basketball and through, you know, my testimony of our savior, Jesus Christ and his restored gospel. And so it was an amazing experience. And I was told in the MTC, actually, uh, I was asked by one of the leaders and, in an interview, what's the hardest thing about serving a mission? And I hadn't really thought about how hard it was to leave college basketball, but I opened up to him about how I left a scholarship and decided to serve two years. And, um, you know, it was a really uh, tender moment. He told me that uh, he believed that by me putting God first, God will then put me first in life and allow me to have success that I wouldn't have otherwise had without making sure that I had God first in my life. And so as I got home, I tried to always remember that although i'm not as dedicated to my service as i was as a two-year missionary and i think very few of us ever are after those two years of services we're so dedicated and committed to it um i've always tried to still remember of the importance of putting god first and and how he'll you know provide means and blessings as as that happens and i've seen it i definitely have with it whether it's my marriage or the opportunities I'm having here at Utah State and the experiences, the people I'm meeting, I can see God's hand in my life every single day. And so I'm eternally grateful for the fact that I did decide to serve a mission and and put off basketball for those two years. And um, everybody's mission experience is going to be different, but I can guarantee for all of the youth out there playing sports and, 
you know, pondering about whether they should serve a mission. It's going to be a very meaningful and positive experience for your future. So you commit to Tim Durier. Um, Tim Durier gets uh-huh. that staff gets let go um, either right before or during your mission. Uh, you come back and play one year for Craig Smith, and then he goes to Utah, and then uh, you get a new coaching staff in Ryan Odom. So essentially, you've worked with three different coaching staffs already throughout your career at Utah State, and you still have, I believe, technically still two years of eligibility left. You, you've you had opportunities, I'm sure, in the transfer portal, and, and I don't know if anybody would have blamed you, uh, considering all the upheaval that you've had to endure. What is it about Utah State and that university and that community that said, no, this is, regardless of coaches, this is where I want to play college basketball. Yeah, it's definitely been a a hectic time in some instances, but at the same time, it's the people. I think it's the relationships that I've built and the trust that I have and some individuals that I know have been here and will stay here. And um, I have faith in the fact that Utah State is a brand and an institution that I want to represent and I want to build. I think that a lot of the times when things like the transfer portal or name, image, and likeness offers or things like that get talked about, a lot of the things I think about is how, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, I want to be able to come back to Logan and be be an Aggie, and I want to be able to support the program and the institution and have an impact beyond just the, the few years that I've that I've had so far. And I think that some athletes lose that mindset with the transfer portal and all the different opportunities and experiences is that, you know, you kind of look back at your college career and then you think, you know, what, where's my home? What's, you know, what's my school is as opposed to, I I really want to have an experience where, um, you know, I can look back at my, my college and say, you know, I'm, I'm an Aggie. And so when it came down to different decisions or different coaching staffs or different things, a lot of it was, as I mentioned, the people. I think Justin Bean was a huge um, example of that for me after my freshman year. I was roommates with Bean when we found out Coach Smith left. It was a, a quick phone call with him and I where we were like, hey, you know, this is where we want to be. Let's, let's make something special happen. And and so that was a little bit of the insight of that single decision there. But, you know, as it comes to the future, I'm super excited and even though there's obviously NIL opportunities all around the country, I'm really excited about the NIL opportunities that, that Utah State is, uh, is getting ready to experience and provide as um, you know the donors and the community support us as athletes. I think it's only going to help enhance the experience that you can have here up at Utah State. So how – I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes, and you've got the – Mount West Conference uh, tournament that's coming up, and then you've got potentially the big dance, and you guys are right there on the edge of it. How much? Uh-huh. Does, how much does the the thought of playing in the NCAA tournament power you guys through Boise State coming up tomorrow night, which I hope everybody fills up the spectrum, and then power you through the Mount West Conference tournament? How much of that plays a part in what you do from this point on? Um. I'm, that's a good question. I don't know if I've, I've really thought about it from that perspective. I mean, I think as the season comes to an end, um, it's, it's time for every individual part of the program to think about what's going to be best for themselves for the next season. That's coaching staffs, support staff, players included. Um, 
And I think that we've done a great job as a team in a way separating those decisions from what we're trying to accomplish right now. I think that during this season, everybody is completely bought into whatever the coaches ask of us, whatever our teammates ask, ask of us. We know that it's going to be for the benefit of our goals of winning the Mountain West tournament and, and playing in the big dance. And so for right now, I'm really completely 100% focused on everything that I do throughout these next few days is geared towards those goals and focus and center on those goals. And then, you know, as, as things, um, you know, come to an end during the later parts of the season, I think that there'll definitely be some times where, you know, I sit down, reflect, pray and talk with Peyton and then the coaching staff and see what the future holds. And, um, hopefully that means that everybody is still Aggies and that we're able to, uh, come back and, and try to re- re- continue to build on what we've built this season and and uh, continue to go for it. So that's probably where I'm at right now in that state. Well, it sounds like you need to be lead recruiter, too. You gotta get... <laughs> hey, I, I don't know if that's an NIL job, if they can hire me to be a recruiter and pay me for it, but we can figure that out. I'd love to be on billboards, campaigns, making TikToks or whatever they need to get more people to come to Utah State because I think it's an environment where, you know, the culture is second to none, the basketball experience is second to none, and the program is in a place where you're going to be playing meaningful games in March, and that's exactly what a player, if you're confident in yourself and if you want to be a player that wants to play in the NBA and play professionally, that's what you want to be doing. And so I look at Utah State as – um, you know, just a few years behind some of those programs that have already built themselves up from some of those mid-major to high-major type of places where you maybe don't have the city life or things like that, like in Gonzaga or Baylor, but you have basketball. And so I think that uh, Utah State is in a prime position to continue to build on those types of things. Heck of a game coming up tomorrow, Hans. Wait, man. It's going to be a blast. Go Six, get them, Steven. Absolutely. 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock tip. It's sold out. I know they re-released uh, some more tickets, and those got bought up really quick. That place is going to be rocking. I know you can't wait. It should be a lot of fun. Go make Highland Alpine proud, brother. Hey, we'll do, Hans. Yeah. So good to be able to chat with you for the first time. Yeah, you too, awesome. Steven. Let's, let's not make it the last. Absolutely. Let's do it. More to come this summer and uh, later on this season for sure. So you got it. See you tomorrow. There's the All man. Right. Well, he's everything you build him to be. Good dude. Yeah. He's a fun conversation. You nailed it. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.